get rid of the idols. And God is displeased with that. And so God's going to bring a little bit of chastening or His rod upon the nation of Israel. And this is kind of the setting that we find Micah in. We get to chapter number 3, and look with me, if you will, in verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord. And by the way, any time in Scripture we see those words, while all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God, when I see the words, thus saith the Lord, my ears perk up. I mean, this is God saying specifically, directly, here's what I want you to know. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets, now notice this, the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. He said there's a group of prophets that are around here posing as prophets, saying this is what God has said, and God says, I didn't tell them that. That's not from me. These are prophets, and notice he says this. He makes this statement in the first part of verse number 5. He said, I'm going to tell you some things concerning the prophets that cause my people or make my people to err. Can I tell you this? There's an awful lot of churches out there today that preach opinion, they preach a feel-good message, and they don't preach the Bible. And so when it, come, when I, and I, when it comes to preaching... We need to preach what God has for us, not what a man thinks or what a man has come up with. Or I know we can, we can logically think and I can understand those things, but when it comes to preaching, we don't need to hear what Brother Greg knows about something or what I think about something. We need to know what does God say about it. What does the Bible say about it? And here these prophets were going around the nation telling people what they wanted to hear. And they were causing the people to err. The people were involved in sin and idolatry, and the prophets were saying, hey, that's okay, no big deal. Well, wait a minute, it is a big deal to God. God didn't want those things happening. They're crying peace. And He's saying, it's okay, you know, it's okay. Y'all just calm down, peace. God's okay with all this. No, He wasn't. There needed to be some things that were changed. And gets down to verse number, <clears throat> verse number 7. He says, but truly... Now, this is, this is my... Let's read verse number 6. Therefore... Night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, and ye shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. And so God said, listen, if you're going to be that way, if these prophets are going to say that God said something and it wasn't really something I said, then I'm going to take away all the prophecy for a while. There's not going to be any more prophecy. Now understand... Back then, they had to have prophecy because they didn't have a Bible. Today, we don't have to have prophets. We have what is considered to be the complete revelation of what God has for us in the Word of God. So we come to the Bible for those things. But back then, they had to have prophets tell them what God said. And God said, because your prophets are causing the people to err, I'm not going to send any more visions. So I'm not going to tell them what I, I think anymore. I'm just going to, there's going to be a, a, a famine of this. Verse number 8, but truly, this is from Micah, but truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob... Now, this is the, uh, the uh, two tribes of Judah that he's speaking of here. To, to declare unto Jacob uh, his transgression, and to Israel... So he says, okay, there's going to be some of this that pertains to Israel, the other ten tribes as well. And to Israel, his sin. So he says, I've been given by the Spirit of God some things that you guys need to hear. God wants you to hear these things. These other prophets... No, God has not given them those things. 
But he says, I've been given this, and this is from God, and you can trust this. Verse number 9, he says, Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert equity. They build up Zion with blood, and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire. In other words, they were bought. Gave them money so they would preach the right message. By the way, can I tell you this? The Bible tells us that in the last days, which I think we're in those last days, he said in the last days there's going to be a group of people that are going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they were going to try to find people that will tell them what they want to hear, not necessarily what God said. We're living in those days. We're living in those days where churches all around the country today are meeting at the same time, and they're not even going to open the Bible. They're not even going to quote a scripture. They're going to get up and teach an opinion of a man. Can I tell you this? We need among our people in our nation more churches that will say, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. If we get back to doing what God has said, our nation would be healed of a lot of ills that it has right now. There's no doubt about that. God would bless that nation. We find in verse number 11 that the heads thereof, these speaking of the, the government that was in place there of, uh, of Judah at the time and also in Israel, he says, the heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests, the religious leaders thereof, teach for hire. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us, because this is from the Lord, is what they were saying. This is the, this is the situation they found themselves in. This past week I, I wrote a small article uh, regarding the, the situation our society is in as a whole. And I'll tell you, it's not Scripture, it's my opinion. That was what I wrote in this article this, that I published this week and put it out there. And uh, I said, we need to fix it. We need to fix it now. Uh, years ago, I was doing my instrument training in an airplane and I had these glasses on where I couldn't see outside the airplane. I could only see the instruments. And I had an instructor beside me, and he was the safety pilot. And we were on a, on a uh, approach coming into the uh, airport, and you have to stay on a certain uh, glide path or you'll hit buildings and towers, and you don't want to do that in an airplane. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's not a good day. And so we're, we're doing an approach, and my instructor said, you're a little low. And I looked at my, uh, my uh, glide slope indicator, and uh, I was a little low. And I said, yes, I see that. And I, I made a small correction. And uh, was, it was slowly coming back where it needed to go. And in just a few seconds, all of a sudden, the plane lurched real high, and the nose went up, and we started climbing really fast, and I was wondering what was happening. And I looked over, and the instructor had grabbed the controls and had yanked them back, and he looked over at me, and he said, fix it now. In other words, you don't have time to slightly do it. You need to fix it now. And so I posted an article using that illustration and how there's some things in our society that we don't need to work on. We need to fix them, and we need to fix them now. And somebody posted a question and said, but how do we do that? And I thought, boy, what a great question. And so I began thinking on that, and it just happened. I was reading in Micah, and all of a sudden it just was like the Lord showed me out of Scripture. This is what He was telling the nation of Israel to do. He's saying, you all need to fix it, and you need to fix it now. And then he tells them how he's going to do this, how they're going to do this. And so I want us to look at that this morning and, and see what the Lord has for us. Before we get into that, I want us to pray and ask for the Lord to bless the message. And uh, we'll see if God can help us in some things in our life today. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. 
what a joy it is to our hearts to know that there are answers, even in the Old Testament, even in illustrations of things you did with Israel. There are things that you gave them that are answers to the problems our life has today. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. We're thankful you've given us your word. Lord, I pray that for the next few moments, you will help us to put aside the the concerns, the cares, the burdens that may be on our hearts and on our minds. And Father, may we put our hearts and our minds upon your word and what you've said. May you allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to encourage us and strengthen us where it's needed. Lord, maybe even to bring conviction on our hearts, to show us the areas that we need to work on, we need to fix. May we be yielded and sensitive to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's no doubt here that Micah has expressed the problem pretty, pretty clearly. The prophets, they've, they've gone awry. The government officials of the day, they, they, they had gone awry. They were out for hire. Even the priests, he said the priests, the ones that get up in the synagogues and teach, he said even they were teaching for money. They would, they would say things that would bring the money into the, to the church house or into the synagogue. And can I tell you this? I, I, was, I, I think it was uh, J. Frank Norris years ago made this statement. He said, a preacher that will not preach the whole counsel of God is after one thing, and that's your money. We need some men of God that will stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. We're not worried about everybody's money. God doesn't need our money. Do you know that? He doesn't need our money. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In fact, somebody said it this way. He even owns the gold that's in the hills. My God doesn't need our money. For a church to get up and do these things, trying to get people's money, I think is, is they, they might as well resign and get out of the ministry. They really should. But we find the situation that Israel is in. They're in, they're in desperate straits. Look with me, if you will, over in chapter number 6. After he, he spends all of this time dealing with the problems uh, of uh, the country, in chapter number 4, just to give you the context of it, he says, because of these things, if you don't correct them, Here's what's going to happen. He tells them the punishment that's coming, the judgment that's coming. He tells them about the coming of the Messiah. And we find in Micah chapter number 5, the wonderful verses that tell us about where the Lord's going to be born. He talks about it being in Bethlehem. Um, And so we know about those things. We get to chapter number 6. He says, now here's how you can fix it. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 1. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise. Contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath controversy with His people, and He will plead with Israel. I read somebody this, uh, this week, I was reading some notes that he had written on this passage, and he said, the God of heaven brings the problem into the court of creation. And he even, even invites the mountains and the creation that He has brought into existence to be the jury of this, to even acknowledge that He as God has the right to bring this judgment on the nation of Israel. You say, what gives God the right to do this? Because He created us. We live in a world where people don't like to admit that. Uh, we, we, we like to believe in that God didn't create the world because if He created it, then we have to admit that He's got a right to tell us how to live. So we decide we are going to reject God and get rid of that. In verse number 3, he says, O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. In other words, he says, is it my fault that you've done these things? He says, For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now 
what Balak king of Moab consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor asked him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye might know the righteousness of the Lord. He said, look, you have no right to say that it's my fault. These things you've brought upon yourself. And here's the question that Judah asks. Wherewith, verse number 6, shall I come before the Lord? This is the question I was asked this week when I posted that article. How? How do we fix it now? Well, that's what the people were asking. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow, my, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And you can almost hear the, the people saying, Lord, what do you want from us? How can I get this back? They say, can I do this and can I do that? And can I, can I give you this and can I give you that? And it was all external. And by the way, we live in a day where we think that in order for us to get to a place where we are in agreement with God, where we are walking with God, where we have a relationship with God, where we have the hope of heaven for all of eternity is by what we do. That's, that's where we live today. And most people think that, well, if I do this and if I do that and if I give this and if I give that, there was a rich young ruler in the New Testament when Jesus was on the earth, on his earthly ministry, that came to him and he said, Master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, I want you to keep the commandments. The young man, you can almost hear the pride in his voice. You can probably, probably pulling his suspenders up. Well, I did that since I was a youth. You can almost hear the pride and the arrogance. Jesus, he, said, he says something else to him. He says, now I want you to go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. You know what he was saying to the young man? Keeping the commandments isn't enough. This fellow was rich. And he said, I want you to go sell all that you have and I want you to give it to the poor. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he went away sorrowful for he had great riches. But you know if that young man had gone and sold everything that he had and given it to the poor and come back to Jesus and said, okay, what now? Jesus would have said, it's not enough. Because the point Jesus was making to the man and what the young man realized was, there is nothing good that I can do to inherit eternal life. In Micah chapter number 6, the people are saying, what shall we do? What shall we do? Can I give you a burnt offering, Lord? Can I give you of my rams, my ten thousands of, uh, of rivers of oil? Shall I sacrifice my own fruit, my own body, uh, my own firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body? What can I do? And God responds through Micah, and He brings out the point that it is not what you do, but it is something that happens on the inside. Notice what it says here. Verse number five, or verse number eight. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. You know what God was telling the nation of Israel? He said, It's not what you do outwardly that matters, it's what happens on the inside of the heart that matters. God gives deliverance. If you look with me in Micah chapter number seven and 
over to verse number 18. And we're not going to take time to read through the whole book here, but I'm trying to give you a high-level overview. We get to Micah chapter number 7 and verse number 18. Micah says this, Who is a God like unto thee? (laughs) I love that question. The answer to that is there is no God like Him. There's nobody like Him. That pardoneth, notice this, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he what? He delighteth in what? Mercy. Now follow me for a minute. Back in the Garden of Eden, God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden and He says, you can eat of every tree of the garden except this one. This one right here, you're not to eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, ye might... What? No, that's right. Ye shall. My Bible doesn't say might. He says, ye shall surely die. What did Adam and Eve do? Do what? They ate of it. Did the same thing you and I would have done, by the way. Don't blame them. Because we would have done the same thing. You say, how do you know that? Because we do the same thing every day when we sin. We make a choice that I'm going to have my way. I know our character enough to know that. I know this man's character enough to know that I would have done the same thing. Now, wait a minute. God gave an instruction and said, you're not to do that. And in fact, Adam and Eve, if you do that, you're going to die. Period. End of story. That's all God said at that point, wasn't it? Man did it, didn't he? And what happened? Spiritually, they died, didn't they? And that's all that should have happened. But God, who is rich in mercy, after man sinned, he said, you know what? I'm going to make a way for man to be redeemed. God told Israel, He said, y'all are in a fix. And here's the judgment that's coming. But then it says here in verse number 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and will cast all their sin, where? Into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. What's he talking about? He's talking about when the Lord Jesus Christ would come. He said, there's going to come a time that I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to cast them as far as the depths of the sea. There's got to be an interchange. There's got to be something inside that takes place. We understand from Scripture that the thing inside that has to take place is we have to come to a realization that we can't save ourselves. That we have to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read that passage very quickly. Ephesians chapter number 2, 
And let's look in verse number 8. Let's go back to verse 4 so you can see it in its context. But God, who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? <laughs> mercy is not getting what you deserve. I remember as a kid, I got whippings all the time. Uh, any of, anybody grow up in a house where mom and dad were a little stern, you got whippings, you got... Well, we were down south. We got whoopings. We didn't get whippings. We got whoopings. And uh, I remember growing up, and there was one summer, I think I got a whipping every day. I was one of those Dennis the Menace kind of kids, ADD, and always into mischief. And I, I feel, I'll tell you, I feel like I got a whipping every day. And, uh, but, you know, I remember sometimes mom would say, Greg, go to your room. Your dad will deal with it when he gets home. You ever, anybody ever have that happen? Man, I hated that because then you agonized all day long about it. And... Uh, I remember occasionally, not very often, but occasionally, my dad would walk in the room, and as he always did, he'd sit down and talk with me about what I had done wrong, and then usually he would stand up and start making that sound that all of us cringe at, and that was pulling the belt out of the belt straps, and uh, you cringe when that happened, but uh, occasionally, occasionally, he would say, Greg, I'm not going to give you a whipping today. And when my dad did that, he showed me mercy. Because the truth of the matter is, I deserved it. He didn't give it to me. I've used the illustration years ago of a fellow named George Wilson. Back in the mid-1800s when they traveled, they moved mail by horse and the Pony Express was in existence and that sort of thing. George Wilson and a friend of his... Uh, held a U.S. postal worker up at gunpoint, robbed him. They caught up to him. And they tried George Wilson. They said because he had endangered the life of a U.S. postal worker, he said they said you were to be hung by the neck until dead. That was his penalty. He didn't kill the man, but he had endangered his life. At the time, Andrew Jackson was the President of the United States. He heard about George Wilson, and he said... I think that's a little bit of a steep penalty since no harm came to this U.S. postal worker. And so he wrote a presidential pardon for George Wilson. Can I tell you this? That was mercy. Because George Wilson had done the crime, hadn't he? And deserved the punishment. They sent the presidential pardon to the prison that George Wilson was in. The warden took it to his cell said, Mr. Wilson, i got good news for you. The President of the United States has pardoned you. And George Wilson said, I don't want it. The warden tried to convince him he wouldn't take it, and the warden didn't know what to do. So he sent it back to the state Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court said, this is a federal matter. This came from the President. We can't, we can't rule on this. So they sent it to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court made a decision on that that is still on the books today and is still, you can go look it up, it's still in there. And, this, and the ruling was that a pardon, no matter whose signature is on it, until it is received, it's just a piece of paper. George Wilson refused his pardon. We sit here today we say, what a ridiculous thing. George Wilson could have escaped his punishment, but he refused it. But the truth is, 
Jesus Christ wrote you and I a pardon 2,000 years ago when He died on Calvary. He said, Greg Boer is not going to have to pay for his sin. I'll pay for it. And I'm going to set Greg Boer free. And he offers it to me. And I have a choice. I can either accept it or I can reject it. We look at George Wilson we think, what a fool. And yet how many times has God tried to give us His mercy? And we've said, I don't want it. Don't want it. How foolish it would be for us to know that Christ has already paid for our sin. I don't have to pay for my sin. He did it for me. And He gives me freely this gift of eternal life. And the only thing that I have to do is say, I believe it. I trust in it. I accept it. I want that. I've used, I've used the illustration so many times, and we'll end with this. I've used the illustration so many times. A few years ago, I was at a friend's house, and uh, we were having a barbecue. And they had those plastic lawn chairs. You know what I'm talking about? The, the little flimsy ones? And I'm a pretty big guy. And uh, I was telling this to, to Mr. Adnan the other day, or he heard me telling it the other day. He said, man, I remember when that happened. <laughs> Because I was over at his house. He said, I remember that. But I was sitting out there, and he was grilling. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard a loud crack. And the chair had broken. And down I go to the ground. And I mean, I'm embarrassed, and I'm dirty, and I'm like, oh, this is crazy, you know. So because I'm a bigger guy, and I weigh a lot, I'm more careful. In fact, Jonathan and I went to a restaurant here about two months ago. And they wanted to see us out on the porch. I said, well, that's fine. It was a nice day. And we get out there, and they have those plastic chairs at the table. And I said, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I said, I need you to bring me one of those chairs from inside. I need a, one of those other ones. And she, she laughed, and she said, okay. And she brought me a chair. And the reason is because I don't have faith in that chair. It, it's, I know it's going to break. It could fail. And so I look at chairs. Now, if I look at this chair, I've got a chair up here on the platform. And it's, you know, it's, it's welded steel. I mean, that thing's sturdy. And I've I've sat in them before, and so I I believe I I can stand here, and I can say I believe that chair will hold me. But the truth is I haven't put my faith in it yet, have I? I know it's there. I know it's strong. I know it's able to hold me. But I haven't trusted it yet to hold me. In fact, if I tried to sit down without that chair... I'm going to fall and go to the floor. I can't do it on myself. You ever tried to sit down without a chair? Do it in your own strength, your own might? I mean, you can squat for a little while, but sooner or later you're going to fall back and you're going to go to the floor anyway. You can't do it yourself. So you have to trust something so you can sit in it. And so I look at a chair and I say, okay, I think I can trust that. And the truth is I can even walk over to it and I can say, I'm really close to it. I've been, now let me tell you, I read my Bible. I mean, I go to church. I've been baptized. And I'm really close to it, but I still haven't trusted it, have I? I mean, I I believe that it can save me from going to the floor. But I can even go like this. And the truth is, I still haven't trusted it. 
until I finally make my body go beyond what I can do. And I start leaning backwards, losing my balance. And usually right about there, I have started to trust that chair. Because at that point, if that chair fails, I'm going to the floor because I can't catch myself anymore. I'm not trusting my balance. I'm not trusting my strength to keep me off the floor anymore. I'm trusting that chair to do it. And if that chair fails, then I'm going to the floor. I use that illustration because a lot of people believe in God. A lot of people believe in a lot of things that God can do. But we've got to get to a place where we trust Him to save our soul. Because I cannot do it. If I try to save the soul myself, I promise you, I'm going to fail. And I can say this on the authority of God's Word and what God's Word tells us. If you try to save yourself by what you do, you will fail. I'm thankful I don't have to. And I hope that you're thankful that you don't have to. All we have to do is put our faith in Him and say, Lord, I'm not trusting anything else except for You and what You've done for me by dying on a cross and paying for my sin debt so that I could go to heaven. I'm trusting You to do that. At that moment, when we take our hands off of it and say, it's not by my church membership, it's not by my baptism, it's not by my good deeds, it's not living a good life, it's simply by putting my faith in Him. And at that moment, God saves me from my sin, forgives me, because He loves mercy. He loves to give His mercy. He wants to give His mercy. But a lot of us are like George Wilson. God extends His mercy to us and we say, I don't want it. don't want it. I think I'll do it my own way. I think I'll try it myself first. Why would we do that? I don't understand. When God tells us all I've got to do is put my faith in Jesus Christ. To say, if I'm ever going to make it to heaven, it's certainly not going to be because I'm a member of Keith Heights Baptist Church. That's not going to get me there. It certainly is not because I was baptized. It certainly is not because I live some kind of good life. I enjoy trying to live a life that is pleasing to God, but that does not save me. It's simply because I have put my faith in Him. I have trusted Him with my eternal security, my soul. And I've said, Lord, I can't do it. And I know that you can. So I'm just going to let you do it. I'm going to trust you as my Savior. I'm going to let you forgive my sin. Because He's a God who loves mercy. He loves to show it. He loves to redeem His people. The Bible says He is not willing that any should perish. That's not God's desire for man to go to hell. never has been. He says He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
to come to a place where we say, Lord, I can't do it, but I know that you can. I hope that you've done that today. If not, I hope that you will. And if you're a Christian here today and you've done that, I hope we can rejoice in it. I really do. I hope we can leave here today excited that that's what God has done for me and that's what God has done for you. And I hope that will be a help to you and a blessing. Let's stand together, shall we, and bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. Just by way of privacy to allow people to respond to the preaching if God has spoken to your heart. In just a moment, our piano and organ are going to play a verse of invitation. And by that, we just offer an opportunity. If you'd like to, you can come down to this altar or you can kneel in your chair. Or if you'd like to, just pray where you're standing. And would you do business with God? Would you pray with and, and ask the Lord? for the the decision that He's put upon your heart. If you need to trust Him as your Savior today, you can do that right there where you're standing. You can call out to God. You can either do it audibly or you can do it silently in your heart. But you can pray and ask the Lord for His salvation, telling Him that you're going to put your faith and trust in Him, making that decision. Christians that are here today, maybe we need to be reminded of it. Maybe we need to be rejoicing in it more of what Christ has done for us. The question that was asked of me this week when I said, we need to fix it. And they said, how? I think so often we rely on the things that we do externally. When the truth is, we need to look inward. We need to do justly. We need to love mercy. And we need to walk humbly with our God. That's how God's going to repair our nation. That's how God can help fix it. Father, we pray that you bless the message this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, they don't know if they were to die right now that they'd go to heaven. They may hope so or they may think so, but Lord, you've given us the ability to know. I pray that you would help them to put their faith in you today, to trust you, to take that free pardon that you've given to them. Father, for those that have trusted You as their Savior, I pray that You help us to rejoice in it today. We thank You so much for all that You've done for us. It brings great joy to our hearts. It helps us in the days that we live to have great peace, no doubt. Lord, every day we can wake up. Even though we may have concerns about what goes on in our life, we certainly are not worried about it. We certainly are not fretting and in fear and anxiety over it. Father, I pray that you'd help to speak to hearts today as you would see fit. May your Holy Spirit do His work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, just again, for sake of privacy. And if someone would like to come to the altar or any of you would like to come and pray, you're welcome to do that. No one will embarrass you. I promise you that. We won't call you out. But as the piano and organ begin to play, would you come? If God's spoken to your heart.